to the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have another bearded, glasses wearing, bald man with me, you know, another brother. Uh, I want to welcome nice. a uh, multi talented artist, producer, photographer. He has been nominated for Grammy and is a renowned improvisational uh, vocalist known for his diversity and creativity, and also an author, the author of You Are Ketchup and Other Fly Music Tales. Please welcome Kokai. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, I practiced that a couple of times. <laughs> so, you know, again, thank you for, for coming on and, um, you know, making the time. And, you know, I love the color coordination, by the way. It kind of like looks like the cover of your book. I appreciate it. It's intentional. I see it. I see it. <laughs> yes, sir. So before we get too deep into the, you know, the crux of the conversation, mm-hmm. I, I want to start off by, you know, opening it up with you sharing your story, a little bit about your background and ultimately how you guys started in like the music industry. Um, you know, I, I'm from D.C., Washington, D.C., born and raised um, for years, you know, uh, avid music listener with my family. You know, family is, is surrounded by a bunch of music lovers. Um, and then where I, growing up in D.C., of course, it's a live music city. So you have the proliferation of go-go, punk, rock, rock, you know, R&B, soul, jazz, all of that happening in the city. Um, and so all of those influences came together. My brother turned me on to hip-hop when he bought home uh, Run DMC, Suck MCs. Um, nice. That that was the one that, like, took me to the I want to do that space um, <laughs> in my life. Uh, throughout high school, uh, was in a hip hop group, but I mean, you know, the homies from around the way, beatbox, I was the beatbox and I had an MC that would, and we would battle people in the halls and then college got more so into freestyling and then ran back into my high school homie. Um, and he was like, yo man, you want to, you want to come to these ciphers? I was like, yeah, let's go. Went to the cipher at the cipher. There was a, um, a musician there and a producer, record producer. And he was like, I want to take you all to New York and make a record. And I was like, yeah, you lying. Um, <laughs> but nah, he was, he was true to his word, drove us up to New York and we ended up spending the night in Staten Island the next morning, rolling over to Brooklyn and going to systems Two uh, studio and running into Steve Coleman and making that record. And that record, had myself, Subzy from D.C., nice. Shalik and Utasi from uh, Long Island. And at the time, uh, you know, a neighborhood known MC who becomes a worldwide phenomenon in the form of Black Thought and uh, Questlove. They were both there along with their manager, Rich Nichols, because Rich bought them up to, to, to be on this record. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, I love the quest love. He and I share a birthday. So, you know, definitely oh <laughs> okay. fellow Aquarius. I was like, we out yeah. here. We out here. I, and, and thank you for um, for walking through that. Like, you know, as sure. as we're as we're going through this, I'm going to be typing because I'm always taking an account what someone is saying for rapid fire questions. I'll be trolling you later, you know, no to, to get rid of all of the goodwill <laughs> we create. It's like, yeah. So back to this thing you said in minute two. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Talk about, if you will, like sources of, of inspiration, sources of because I, I think when we, we start thinking about inspiration, you know, it's always kind of the the fluttery, the butterfly, sort of that kind of stuff or what mm-hmm. have you. And sometimes like I'm inspired and driven by pettiness. Someone right. said Baltimore right. was right. wild. Right. Someone right. said Baltimore was trash. And I was like, right. I refuse. <laughs> and that's really why I'm here. And right. I think. I think a lot of cities, especially cities filled with people that look like you and I, kind of right. get that sort of bad rap. Right. And it's like, you know, point out someone being racist without saying they're racist is kind of that. So, yeah, for sure. It, so, talk about some of those those sources of of inspiration for you, whether it's the light stuff, the kind of the good stuff, or the stuff that is like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, that fuel right there. I'm gonna keep that one. I remember that email yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, it's the it's the you know. Kid, you know, my kids, of course, because you want to create something that they can be able to consume. Right. Yeah. So that was the early on. I was like, I just want to make sure not that it was PG rated or anything of that nature, but it was just thought provoking. Right. Sure. Um, and then, of course, you know, life being, a, you know, growing up like I grew up being a certain of a person, a certain hue. Right. The challenges that we face every day that, you know, became, you know, well known over this, over the pandemic, right? So the, then all of a sudden the world started watching, but we already knew this since the 40s and 50s. You know, my parents yeah. told me how to survive, you know, getting pulled over. 
right? Yeah. So knowing all that stuff, those are the things that I put into the music. The other fuel is tell me that I can do something. Like, oh, word? Like, oh, for mm-hmm. real? Oh, I can't mm-hmm. do that? Oh, nah, all right, well, we'll peep this. Let me go over here. Like, it's not, you know, and then being from D.C., like similar to Baltimore, similar to Philly, similar to, you know, to all these places, we have these rich and long histories, and then people act like you one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So DC, they'd be like, oh, it's the crack mayor joint. I'm like, no, it's the city where Marvin Gaye came from, you know, Roberta Flack, you know, Blackbirds, Howard University, yeah. you know, Go-Go Music, Chuck Brown, like stop playing. Right. You right. know, we, we put it out over here. We got we got Duke Ellington jazz greats. We got hip hop greats, you know, whatever. Stop playing. Um, but you're going to play it like it's something different. Like they don't pay attention to the day. You know, this this whole conflation of Jersey and Baltimore club. I'm like, no, stop I playing. Got, yes. Yeah. Stop playing with me. I know what Baltimore Club sound like. I've been listening to that since the way back. Like, let's not act like Kevin Lyles didn't produce a different type of song. Let's not right. act like, you know, Fazo wasn't doing things back in the day. Let's not act like that didn't happen, right? Right. Um, and so, if, when you, especially when you talk about club music, you talk about house music, you talk about all these different things. These are the subcultures of a place that make that place. But mm-hmm. also provide, you know, I'm, a, you know, people from DC, DC stand for dumb crime, don't come, you know, <laughs> dark city, uh, dark side, like it's just all that, and then it's just like we also do stuff like the chip on the shoulder is heavy, like stop playing, you know, mm-hmm. don't act like, you know, don't try to carry me, like is that's the whole thing, being carried in DC, the thought. Actually, it's not to carry. It's the thought that you was thinking about carrying me will inspire me to do something. You know what I mean? <laughs> More yeah. so than the actual carry. The, the actual, you know, verb of the joke. Like, that's not the problem. It's the part where you was just like, I was thinking, me thinking that you was thinking that you was about to carry me caused me more problems than the actual problem. It's so, like what we're not gonna do is <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's like nah. It's like, even if the you know, the, even if the do part, you like, oh, that ain't nothing. But it, what we're not gonna do is think that oh, you think you're going that, then it's a whole problem. But that's DC for you though, yeah. and it's always feeling like you know we're a number one buyer's market. Yeah. So people act like, you know, nothing creative comes in, like being from Nazareth, nothing good come out of there. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we know we was the murder capital one time. Yeah, we know we was just crack place. Yeah, we know about crack, man. But all the other stuff that y'all don't even talk about, like we knew about Mary and Barry being a, a stand up individual in the community and pushing forth black folks and black rights and making sure Ward 8 was taken care of. Southeast wasn't demonized. Like we knew that. Yeah. Right. So this little bump in the road, that was just the other thing you know we know about senators and 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 congressmen and who was doing what to who where yeah long before the rest of the nation like the the streets talk like you think capital is it's not in the capital is in the hood the senators live in the hood bro like it's it's not playing and i I think it's funny it's funny because this is the thing that's been on my mind like a considerable amount recently on like how we preserve and like archive culture Hmm. And people will kind of take it. And it's like, well, this is really what it is. It's like, no, 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 no. And when you see it live and in effect in the city that you're in, you know, especially when it's like, like you, like you touched on a moment ago, as far as like the Baltimore thing goes. Mm-hmm. When I was sitting there, I was like listening to this. I was like, oh, wop, wop, wop. I was like, you know, that's a Baltimore club. All right, cool, cool. No, no acknowledgement in that area. And it's just sort of we we have this. And the thing that catches me and all this and, and by this I mean all of these sort of negative things is like, you know, enter the name of quote unquote black city. So when they talk about like mm-hmm. Chicago and seven hundred murders or what have you, it's right. really you mean South Side. Just 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 call it what it is, right. what you guys right. mean. But when I start looking at, you know, how the people of the city kind of kind of receive it, that's the thing that catches me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really about have pride in where you're from. You know, mm-hmm. it be try to be a part of kind of moving that thing along, doing your best and don't take in this sort of, well, they say we're no better than this. So let's just, you know, let's just pl- let's play up to the role that we've been given. Right. And that's the thing that catches me in, in yeah. doing this podcast. I've recorded well over 500 episodes, mostly in Baltimore, but I've been making efforts to hit close markets, hit D.C., hit Philly, um, you know, hit New Orleans and, and things of that nature, close as in proximity, but close as in, I think, um, like spirit of a place. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember talking to one of my friends in marketing, you know, and before it kind of spreading out. And she was like, I'd be surprised if you find 20 interesting people in Baltimore. Mm. So it's right That's there. Crazy. Right. It's right there. You're you're thinking that, oh, and then when I go to these other cities, as a guy from Baltimore, one, people are surprised, like, you're from Baltimore? 
where, where's your gun? You know, or whatever. Right, right. And, and then it's the other thing, like, wow, we need somebody like you doing that here. Right. So it's an appetite for it. It's a flavor for it. And I think going back to the whole root of what I was getting at, it's important to have people to say, no, nah, this is actually what's happening. This mm-hmm. is actually what's going on. And th- here's the real story. You guys want to call it what you will, but this is the right. real story. Well, the gentrifiers will come in and try to retell your story for you so they could just, you know, rename neighborhoods, adaptation, change, change signs, you know, flip a pit bull. Like they'll do all kinds of stuff just to make sure that, you know, the the story don't get told the same way. But I find that it's it's on us, the griots of the community to tell and the institutions to support the griots of the community to tell those stories. Right. I mean, I remember when Don't Mute DC happened, it was because somebody who lived in the apartments across from a store that had been playing go-go music outside for decades yeah. came across the street and was like, turn the music down and then told and then called the corporate office to be like, they need to turn it down. Like, no, no, we're not even going to talk about the Like, and the story is from those that come in, like, why would a neighborhood be subject to this loud music all day? Right. There's a noise ordinance, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. we're not going to talk about the fact that by that apartment building across the street was a club that rooftop. Mm-hmm. Catacorner to that apartment building was a club that had a rooftop. To the right catacorner was a club that had a rooftop, and you didn't call on any of those folks. You mm-hmm. didn't call. I mean, drunk people be spilling out in the street right there, like all day, ad day, right? Or especially on the weekends. And mm-hmm. you mad that Slim playing go-go music between the hours of 9 and 7? Because the store shut down at night and the speakers go in the house. Like, right. that just happens. <laughs> You're mad? Like, you know. And so what happens is when when you let other people try to give off the narrative of of one thing, but we know the cultural staples. And then it took people galvanizing together to be like, nah, you're not going to do that to our indigenous art form that we created. That's from the people and by the people and the lifeblood of the city. Right. But I I definitely like to talk to folks, especially when coming as an outsider and, and having like a sort of entry level like knowledge base and really mm-hmm. going further into it, it definitely plays a role into it. So if someone is listening, they can better understand like maybe your work, the thinking that goes into it with like, these are my opinions in this area. This is what's baked into the work. You know, this is right. what's baked into what I'm doing. Right. So in going into it, this sort of next question I have, what inspired the creation of hubris and blackness and the infinite uh, potential well? And how do these projects kind of like address black masculinity and, and trauma? Because that's a, another thing that I think that makes up a part of like, you know, the right. thinking that goes into your work. Um, so both of those were part of different residencies. I was a housing arts resident uh, and the project I created during that residency was called Hubris. And then I was a Nicholson Project uh, arts resident, and the project I created from that was Blackness and the Infinite Potential Well. Um, hubris came from the idea of, you know, at the time, people were talking a lot about toxic masculinity and what that meant. Um, and I was just noticing that there was an upsurge in the assault of the, of the Black body, right, through police and, you know, society. And, and f- for decades and years and eons, you know, society, larger white society has not paid any attention to the black body other than to malign it and hurt it and maim it, right? Yeah. Um, except when they want to copy the features, but that we, that's a whole other thing. That's a mm-hmm. whole other appropriation when, you know, the features that were oftentimes uh, relayed to those of us um, with melanin that we were not uh, beautiful because we had big lips or big breasts or big butts or hip to ass ratio. You know, the, the ratios was different, right? right. And your hair was nappy or you had cornrows or, you know, all of these things. And now you got folks that are of a different hue and less melanin running around getting the lifts and tucks and lip injections and changing their whole features so that they look exotic. Right. Mm-hmm. We ain't trying to be black. We want to be close enough, but not real. Black right? adjacent. So, the Black uh, adjacent, right. What, what is it? The uh, the Grinch locks? <laughs> the right. ones that's like, you know, right. right. Exactly. And so that's what I was looking, you know, so when I was thinking about hubris, I was thinking about the idea and understanding of the word. So actually the definition of the word, you know, people use that word to tell others about being haughty, about being too high minded. Don't fly too close to the sun. Your your wings will melt. You'll fall in the ocean, die. Right. But I was like, hold on. That just sounds like somebody trying to be excellent. 
mm-hmm. right? Is it really hubris or is it me trying to do everything I'm supposed to do? Was Daedalus talking to Icarus when he told Icarus not to fly too close to the sun? Did he also tell him not to fly too close to the ocean before his wings get wet and he fall in the ocean? He mm-hmm. didn't say fly too low. You know, so everybody uses this analogy. And I wanted to reimagine that story of Icarus and Daedalus as black folks and then display the black body. And then I created audio around it to go with each image. Um, And then I did a movie, uh, a short film, semi-doc about um, dreams. It was called On Dreams. And it's about those who dream. And and those of us who get, you know, I interview black men between the ages of 16 and 80 about what their dreams were. And who were their biggest supporters and who were their biggest detractors? Um, Because a lot of times when we think about this word and when we think about this idea of of excellence, especially in the black community, oftentimes the persons who are trying to uh, protect us are the persons who are our biggest detractors, right? Uh, Right. Under the guise of protection. Uh, And then just assaulting people with the image of the black body in which they see black men in a, in a, in a, in a, in a light that is not uh, hypersexualized or hypertraumatized or anything. It looked like, you know, the images from that look like freedom. They look like freedom. They look like people enjoying themselves. They look like, and I wanted to depict the father and son. I wanted to make sure people were heavily melanated so that there was no confusion, right? And so that you see these images and you see these bodies and they don't feel um, toxic in any way. That's, that's, that's beautiful, you know? man. It's great. Yeah, and then with blackness and the infinite potential well comes from my time studying electrical engineering. Um, and then that there's a thing called particle in the box theory, which is about a particle. Particle in the box theory, you know, uh, states that there's a particle that can ne- neither be negative, too ne- can never be negative. It's always positive, but it's confined within these walls and only can, you know, it can only bounce around at zero, right? But, you know, yeah. that's the overall crux of the argument. And what I was thinking about was in society, black people are that particle, right? Mm -hmm. If we get reviewed, we can never be sad, right? Then we need to stop complaining, Mm -hmm. right? We can't, we can't be worn down by saying, you know, you, what you crying for about being black, right? We can't never be negative, right? We can never appear to be negative. We all, the only images of us that people love are when we are happy because if we look angry, then we the scary black people. Right. Mm-hmm. We all scary. We angry. We just mad for no reason. We're savages. Right. And then there's these inescapable isms, the blocks, the, the walls that we can't penetrate are these isms, racism, fascism, capitalism, you know, hypo, you know, sexism, like ageism, like keep the isms going. And so we trap. We're this particle that can't. But we can't never be negative. Right. We just got to keep moving and we can't stop. That's the other part. See, because yep. if we stop, then we lazy. Now we collecting ourselves for mental health. Not that we're getting ourselves together. We just lazy. And, and, and that's, that's really, it's really interesting. Like, you know, in this sort of spot that I'm in, in doing this and people paying attention to it and people liking it, mm-hmm. the, the moment where I say something that's, that's real and I say something that might be my opinion. And I think folks that listen to enough of this, they know what my opinions are. Cause I mm-hmm. have no problem in stating them. Mm-hmm. If I'm very overt about it or, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a minute. And I got to do this. I got to do that. Especially with some of the things that have been very public over the uh-huh. last few years. Oh, why are you so militant? Oh, I'm a six foot four, three hundred pound black man, and <laughs> this is the life I live. And right. I find that folks' reactions, right, when they see me in person, they're like, "You're a lot bigger than I expected." Uh, wow, you smile a lot on the podcast. Oh, oh. And it's like right. watching them do the processing. Right. And then I'm like, it's fine. Cause I'll, I'll just call it like, it's fine. I've been this right. way for 38 years. Right. 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 And that's the, that's the piece. And then it's the other part of that whole thing was about trauma. And mm-hmm. that's what it was. It was a Vince Staples interview that I heard. And he was just basically, he was on, um, it was a uh, Rosenberg. It was him Rosenberg. It might've been an Ebro joint, Ebro in the morning. Yeah. But basically he was saying that the only thing, our biggest export is our trauma. And he was like, pick a film, right? He was like, high, reality TV, he was like, Kardashians can go outside and sip tea and walk around and shop. Yeah. And he was like, with us, it's always a squabble. Somebody got to be boxing. Somebody got to be fighting somebody, pulling somebody's hair. Like, we can't just have regular things. Yeah. And so I wanted to deconstruct all of that. Like, I was like, what are the sitcoms that I can 
kind of move around? How can I dissect language? So I did this whole thing where I took the top five songs in R&B, hip hop, country, um, uh, and dissected them down to their just the language. I took all the lyrics and parsed it out so that each individual lyric, each individual word was its own card. And then the amount of times that that word appeared within these group of five songs, you know, it got a superscript and it told you how many times that appeared. So you couldn't see the song assembled, but you could see all of the words. And then noticing like the word bitch was used more in country music. Then it appeared in hip hop music. Wow. Right. So it's like taking those taking those things and parsing that information out. So when you actually look at the words and you look at the in the, the information that's there, what you would assume is that this genre yeah. over here was saying this, but then no, it's actually this genre over here is actually saying this more than that. You know, and so once you break and then I took a bunch of movies, mm-hmm. uh, movies that we all know, and I try to take out all the traumatic parts. So Ricky running down the alleyway. But and I use the I use the same characters. Yeah. So I use more as chestnut. So he's running down the alleyway as Ricky and boys in the hood. But then he transforms into his other character and best man and then transform <laughs> into his character in um, uh, um What's the other one with Taraji, uh, Taraji Henson? Think like a man. So yeah, yeah. it's all of those joints, right? But you see him go through this transformation. You never see him die. You right. see him become successful. You, and I did that with a number of characters. Terrence Howard, Denzel Washington, um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, you know, uh, Holly Berry. So I did that with those folks. I, I love that. I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. I'm fanboying out a little bit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yo, bro, like, hold on. I, this, this is unrelated, but I think it's worthwhile. You an air sign? No. Fire. Fire. Okay. All right. Yeah. Close. It, it, it's, it's fine. It's You're fine. Yeah. You know, both of my parents are Sagittarius. I was waiting for it. Okay. It's all good. I was waiting for yeah. it. I was like, something's familiar here, but that's, yeah. that's a similar energy where, you know, that is something that, that really catches my attention. Like one of the things going back to sort of the use of words and language, I've, I've been playing with this, this concept of, and I don't know what I want to do with it, but the concept is still there and it, it, it definitely keeps pulling me back. This idea of how we use words, what words we use. And cause I was, you know, I had some interest in learning Japanese recently mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, some of these words, like there's some crazy, wild, real meanings. And I was like, mm-hmm. look at the words that made, you know, especially because we're recording this right after, right in the beginning of a new year. So right. at the end of the previous year, you get the word of the year and all of that different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, has social media changed how we look at words, how we look at language? Oh, and we go for this, this sort of abbreviated thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, is it portmanteaus? Is it these sort of fake words? Is it like more netiquette? And I just really want to play with that and what hits mm. that top and most used word each year, because I don't think it really at the end of the day has a lot of meaning or who's the who are the people that are using these words, which part of culture it comes from. That's something that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's what are the data sets? It's like, what is that data set that they're mining to get this word of the year? Right. Yeah. And what culture is that coming from? Right. Mm-hmm. Because and then, I mean, you know, it's that's how it is. It's like language is the thing that. Um, is the thing that relays the message is marketing is marketing all throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. How do you market that message? You know, the right wing Republican fascists, they market their thing a certain way. They got the scary black man character or the scary black people or the socialist thing that's going on. You know, it's all these marketing things and the wording that's used so that they can manipulate the masses into doing, you know, to move in a specific type of direction. And that doesn't mean the masses are sheep. Mm-hmm. That just means that the masses pay attention, that great marketing right. will work. I, I wonder what the this is this is a ridiculous question. It's a fake question, but I think it's funny. <laughs> I, I wonder what the auditioning what the audition would look like for the scary black man on the, on the GOP. <laughs> If it was Robert Towson, you know, scary black man is easy. That's the easiest thing to audition for because all you got to do is crunch up your face and don't say nothing. That's it. You can just, you know what? Actually, just don't smile and don't say anything. Oh shit! You the scary black man. Trust me. Most rooms I'm in, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Because some certain certain folks will walk up to you. You could be the kindest person in the world with whatever. If they don't hear you and you look just regular, they fear you. I mean, but that's an intrinsic. That's a fear yeah. that's been put in them by their circumstance. Now, 
the thing that I do appreciate is people that ain't shook. That's my thing. That's my favorite thing to discover yeah. is hop on an elevator and people are like, hey, what's up? And, you know, they're chilling like yeah. the white people ain't tripping like good white people that don't trip. I yeah. love people from other cultures that don't trip when they with you in a in a in a in a environment that's not necessarily something that is, you know, foreign. Yeah, yeah. that's dope. My favorite microcosm to watch people and to understand interactions with people is the airport. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite place because get a first class ticket, have a first class ticket, and be black in first class and peep the game. You're you're giving me goals for the next year or so. I mean, like I, I I like being in spots, right? That I'm not supposed to be in. Like I already gave you my dimensions, right? So I've gone at some because I'm just starting to get invited to these things and being mm-hmm. around sort of the kind of gatekeepery people, the funders, mm-hmm. all of that different stuff. And it's a lot of hey, bro, a lot of like mm-hmm. trying to pat me and almost take light ownership. Like how can I get a piece mm-hmm. here and there? Right. And it's a not a good feeling for me. I, I don't really jam with it, but I think I want to observe it. It's it's like I want to peep it because it's it's almost and it felt like this. It almost um, feels like almost like being captive in a sense of like, oh, I'm here on display for y'all. Got it. Now I understand. Well, I mean, th- there's a couple of comedians that talk about it. Like uh, there's this one white comedian. He was like, you ever notice white people roll up on black people and they, you know, they don't have black friends because all of a sudden they seem like they're auditioning to be the, the new black person in the group. Like that's, <laughs> right. So that's one. And two is, you know, the discomfort you could tell the origin of the end well, the, the, the history of the individual mm-hmm. based on the interaction. You said you six, four, mm-hmm. 300 pounds, bro, walking into a room of little white people, is going to scare little white people. Like if they're not, you know, and then having access and I know you, you're going to get to speak so well, he's so well-spoken. That's yeah. going to happen. That's the undercurrent, especially if they hear you talk the first time, then they're like, oh my God, he's so eloquent. That's what they're going to say amongst themselves if they yeah, already yeah. already been checked on saying that to black people because they probably shouldn't say that. But if they say that to one another, oh my God, do you know that eloquent he is? Like then they feel more comfortable and it's not necessarily getting a piece it's yeah. being adjacent to the culture that is wanted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 they I really that. want the cultural, they want your cultural sign, especially now. There's a sign off, there's like, yo, I need to get this cosign from these black folks in this cultural space. Well, you just, you about to be there. I got a, I got black friends <laughs> like you, the black friend. You about to be the black friend. That's the other audition. <laughs> That's it. But there's no audition for the black friend. You just got to be around. They just like no. Rob's my black. That's my friend. Rob's my friend. Come on. No, Rob. that's great. That's great. Me and Rob. Me and Rob are just. That's my brother. It, it is almost like that sort of. It, it's it's not toxic, but it's almost like you're not giving the person what they want. And it's something my partner mentioned to me. She was like, you're very like, you look at people like, I don't know if you're impressing me yet. And she was like, because that's kind of my preset, people are really kind of going for it. And that ilk goes for it a lot. It's like, yeah, Rob, you know, I'm really in this scene and really doing the great work and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's cool. That's great. I appreciate it. That's probably why I'm having a conversation with you. Right. So. I, w- I want to move into because um, I, I want to talk about your book a bit, and so so tell us oh. about you are catch up, which is a great title, and Thank other you. fly music tales. Tell us about that, and I got a bunch of sub questions, but give us sort of the 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 overview. Um, the yeah, give us the overview of it. Uh, you are catch up, and other fly music tales is part memoir, part self help book um, to those who want to enter, those who are firmly in and those who are thinking about exiting any creative, you know, business or paradigm, right? That's what I'll say. Um, and that, I mean, you know, that could be music business, that could be an actor, that could be entertainment, that could be podcast, that could be mix engineer, you know, that could be a stockbroker, that could be whatever, because you're creative in these different things. Like stockbrokers are creative with numbers, they're creative with investments and strategy, right? Marketers are, you know, creative with how they're going to advertise and market something to a specific person. You know, musicians, artists and actors, we all have to be creative in our own way. And so this book was written 
from my perspective with my experiences and then the things that I've gleaned through those experiences, the lessons that I got from those experiences, you know, accompanied with, you know, a multitude of therapy sessions, like to get through, to be able to navigate (laughs) through those feelings, you know? And so I was able to, you know, pin that. Um, And it was pretty, the, the first 10 chapters of the book were pretty easy to get through. The last two were the hardest um, because in the time that, from the time that I started writing the book yeah. until the time I finished, my sister died. Um, and she was my, the sister who was 10 years older than me, but, and, and we turned like respectively the same age, uh, you know, um, around the same time. So she was a winter, she's an October birthday. I'm a December birthday. Um, and she was like the homie. She was the person that took me to my first Fresh Fest. She was, you know, the person who could um, help me with my homework. And she was just a super brilliant individual who, you know, I grew up in a family full of professionals um, and those, you know, people who are super practical and wanted me to, you know, be a specific type of way. Everybody's, you know, went for higher education, you know, and in these, you know, major roles in these different spaces. And I wanted to be the artist. And she was one of the few uh, in my family. You know, my my siblings are real cool. Like there were five of us and they cool. But she was the one that was like, nah, dog, like, get it, like, get it. Um, and so losing her in the midst of all of this stuff going on, thankfully, before she passed, she was able to read like seven chapters. And she was like, yo, man, I'm, I can't wait to read this whole joint. Um, and then having her pass, that was the most difficult part of writing it. Yeah. And it was also difficult to process it because I still feel like I still get choked up thinking about her because, you know, um, it's just, you know, when you are on the other side of any success, yeah. the people that rode with you in the beginning, that's the people you really want to ride out with, like, yeah. um, for the whole time. Um, yeah. And not having her here. I mean, you know, the fortunate thing, I know exactly what she would want from me. Like, me talking about it and being sad right now, she's like, man, shut up. Like, <laughs> that would be her reaction would be like, man, stop all that crying, dog. I'm gone, dog. Like, that literally would be like how she would talk about it. I'm dead, cuz. Like, what you gonna do? Like, I ain't here no more, cuz. Why you tripping? Like, she would just go smack. And I'd be like, no, like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> if she was the ghosting right now, she'd be in my ear, like, man, shut up. I'm dead, cuz. Like, be quiet. Keep it moving. You gotta keep it moving. Like, <laughs> but that's the type of person she was you know what i mean yeah. that's that's yeah. like so i know exactly the expectation um but it's not having that in the physical yeah. uh at times that that is is hard because you know that's that was my person you know no i i, I get you and, and thank you for that because I, I i can hear it and um and and I, and I really in that you know not not in a like sense that they're not around anymore, but, you know, two of my closer friends that I started this whole podcast journey with, um, we're not friends. Those relationships died out and, you know, decade plus relationships. Yeah. And, and then it's like, you're doing, I'm doing this and it's kind of these weird sort of, there were feelings there and with it, you know, having all of these really cool successes last year, best podcast in Baltimore, getting funding, doing all of these and having all these great guests and all of these different things. And I'm like, yeah, in, in a sense, it almost feels hollow because some of the people, while appreciative, it's like a mix of being appreciative, but also hollow yeah. that, you know, the people that did kind of get what you're doing and trying to explain what you're doing, because I've been podcasting since 2009 right. and you know, explaining to the people that, you know, what you're doing and they get it. And they're like, oh, hell yeah, I love what you're doing. And then they're no longer around when you get to that sort of spot where it's like, right. this has gone really well. And not being able to connect with them and, and have that sort of conversation is like the, not only the bridge was burned, but the village was burned along with the bridge. Right. And it, it's kind of like accepting it and rolling with it and, you know, looking for some sort of connection when those wins happen or when there's sort of this period of feeling creatively stifled, having your your people that you could talk to. And so definitely it's not obviously it's not the same as losing like losing someone, but it is uh-huh. similar in that not having that and like, hey, what do you think about this? What should I do here? And Bro, I had to regroup. I had to re um, I lost a really good like who I would consider my brother, like my best friend. 
Yeah. Um, and not lost, lost in physically similar situation. Like the relationship changed. Yeah. Um, it hasn't, you know, it wasn't a burnt bridge and burnt village, but it'll never be the same as it was. Right. And that's the part that, that hurt because these, the folk, these are folks. Um, and you know, I get it now that I, I just, without getting too, it's in the book, you know, a piece of it is in the book, but you know, I definitely get that a hundred percent. And, um, you hope it's not that, but you also, you know, I've also rediscovered a new friend circle, um, of folks that got me, yeah. um, and are unconditional in their love and in their advice. And, you know, they, you know, we, we encourage and help and, and strengthen one another without it being transactional. Yeah. That's who, the part. who wants the transactional thing? And, you know, and I'll, and I'll leave on this point of like, you know, for a minute, I thought it was me. Cause you know, that's the thing. And then I started thinking at the time, you know, I was like, we're having this fake argument the day I popped up on a huge billboard. I was like, I don't know, bro. I don't know if I'm the run wrong here. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, you know, it could, you know, it's good is checking yourself is great. Yeah. That's what you should do. You should check and see if you crazy first. Like, am I crazy? Did I do it? Maybe I did it. Yeah. Right. And in that way, it gives you an opportunity to go back and apologize or fix it or, you know, remedy what's going on. But then once you realize where it's really coming from, you know, ain't nothing you can do about it after that. It's like a chef trying their own food. It's like, yo, look, how do I know if this is good or not? How do I know this is bad? I haven't chased it. Right. <laughs> so in, in, in being in this sort of spot of, you know, being a multidisciplinary artist, doing a lot of different things, things that I'm telling you now, you're going to see a version of it that comes from me. Of mm-hmm. everything that you were describing, I'm going to be stealing from you, bro. I see it happen. It's like, look, I got this from my man, Coke guy. It's just what right. happened. But in being in that spot and being around um, storytellers, uh, being being in these capacities where you can be a storyteller and facilitate storytelling through through the book, as it is a memoir in, in some regards, and it is you know sharing stories. What's something memorable that that comes to mind within the, the different stories that you've been aware of and familiar with that? you would want to share or maybe something that didn't make the book? Um, you know, there's so many circumstances, you know, and, and events that happen in, in a life. Uh, I think when I responded to the questions, I mentioned yeah. this, uh, man, <laughs> I went to more, I went to Senegal, actually. I won a, a sister cities grant from district government, uh, to go do programming in Senegal and cooperate with my partners there. So I linked up with Africa Turban, um, and my homies in Dakar, uh, the, the inimitable Kurgi, which is the name of their group, uh, Chat yeah. and Khalifa, and was able to, you know, make music with them and ride around. And, and riding around with Senegalese superstars is a whole other wave of riding around Senegal. It was like, yo, I'm doing this, like this is how we rolling. So it was, it was, it was dope. It was super dope. It was a super great experience. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was just amazing experience with with people that are real cool. And then the State Department hit me because I, you know, I work with them as an emissary, and they said, "Hey, can you go up to Mauritania? Um, would you like to go to Mauritania and do a concert?" And I was yeah. like, "Absolutely!" Like I'd never been to Mauritania. I wanted to peep the the people and the culture and see what it was, and hooked up with this dude named Monza, who lives between Paris and and um, and Mauritania and Nouakchott. And the crazy first, you know, when we start talking about these francophone countries and the billions of dollars that France takes away from these countries mm-hmm. a year, like that's a that's a conversation. That's a whole conversation. And then the differences in these like Mauritania is like right over Senegal yeah. on the map, you know, so it's right there. It's like, But the culture could be like a million times different. You know, just through just through the tribal situations and then the thought processes. Um, and so there, I was challenged in a lot of ways. Like, the son, the, the dude was like, yeah, them white people over there. And I'm looking, I don't see no white people. So I was like, yeah, bro. When black people was white people. And I was like, hold on, hold on, they black, though. No. But they was like, nah, he was like, yo, them white people. And I'm looking like, what white people? And I'm looking at my skin and I'm like, I look like them. Like, am I white people? Like, how do I get, how do we all get white people? Where are white people? Where are the white people? Because in my mind, Right. Coming from this space, mm-hmm. white people are actually people without no melanin. Like, ain't no brown, ain't no brown white people. Like, they ain't no such thing. White people are white people are the people that lack melanin. Ain't no you pink. Like, you not brown. And so I was around a bunch of brown people, and this one brown person told me that another brown person was white, and I was like, nah. Like, so that was you know that was one of the things. And then just 
being amongst North Africans, you yeah. know, is is you know North African culture is a whole different thing. So I'm a, Moroccans, Tunisians, um, you know, and the folks was just you know people the Libyans, you know, folks was all there. Yeah. Um, and then we performing, and it was a couple of things. Like one, my man was like, "Yo, do you want a headline?" And I was like, "You will not get me to come in here and be the United States colonizer. Nope. Like I will not do that." So my boy Human and and Katie, they they. Um, they rapped the news in Senegal, but they they're a dope group and you know uh, and dope MCs and they uh, headlined the joint and I went on right before them and man when I tell you hopping on that stage and we was in in Basra and Wakshat in uh, what looked like an old soccer stadium and when I tell you it was a sea of black folks out there it was it had to be fifty thousand they were like it's fifty thousand people here and I was like what. <laughs> and 50,000 people, me and my DJ Neo, uh, Neo, and I had just met. So here's the ill. I had just met Neo. Neo flew over from Italy <laughs> to be my second camera because I needed camera people. Yeah. So I had I hired a camera person um, from here uh, um, to do the joint. And then Neo came over to be the second camera. And so we shot everything and rolled around and, and recorded and did this whole thing and then dipped out. To Nuwak shot me and Neo. Now Neo is Italian. You know his English was like eh, fair to Midland out this joint. Yeah. So we just communicating off the year. Uh, mm, <laughs> yeah, I mean you know kind of you know that was the, <laughs> that was the joke. Like, <laughs> you know if you need a drink. You know it was real. It was real handsy gesture. Right, but we we function. That was my that's my man. That's my man. Fifty Grizzle now. Like yeah. his English is better. My Italian is a little better. So we we get on. <laughs> we meet in the middle. <laughs> we meet in the middle. But fifty thousand. But he when he spun them records though, dog. It was when I tell you we ate that. We killed that whole state. We murdered that joint. Like we was getting some hate. We got hate a little bit of hate from some of the Moroccans. Not from the Moroccans. They was cool. Tunisians were cool. Libyan Jones was had a little short. Couple <laughs> was tripping. Couple of the Tunisian Jones was tripping, but the main folks, like uh, you know, the main people was cool. But some of the little camp and some of the Egyptians was beefing too. But I ain't, you know, it was whatever. The boys from YTB and Mali and them, they was cool. But it was just like, but when I hit the stage though, cause see, they wasn't, they don't know. Yeah. And just not, they don't know, but like. I know some of their work. They know a little bit of my work, but they don't know what my stage show look like. So I'm like, it's all good, you know. And they thinking that I'm going to be this, you know, yo, yo, American, like, coming over. Yeah, yeah, what's good, what's good? We about to buy. Like, that wasn't my way. Right, right. And so they was looking for that. And then when they didn't get that and they got the lion, they was like, oh, my God, Jesus. Like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, and I mauled their whole stage. And when I finished <laughs> mauling the stage. And I got off the stage, and the mayor of Nuwakshot was like, yo, you got to come to this conference tomorrow. Like, come through. Bro. I don't know what you do, but you do what you do. Yeah, uh, you know, and then people was like, oh, yeah. But, you know, some of the homies who knew me, they was like, nah, I'm trying to tell y'all, like, you might want to pay it. You might want to just not be trying to heckle. Because they were trying to heckle. They was jive trying to be off, off the heckle when I got on stage. And, and by the time I finished wearing that stage out, and the whole crowd was yelling, and lighting uh, the little gas and the little aerosol cans yeah. on fire. I was like, yeah, son. And then mind your business. That's so fire. <laughs> Shout out to my bad. Shout out to Alfonso Bowie. He was my uh, cameraman, my other cameraman for me. That's a bet. Yeah. So I got I got one more real question. Okay, and, and, sure. and it is and it's almost like an appetizer, right? Because it's I think it's kind of a, a briefish answer um, before we get into those rapid fire ones. It almost sets up the rapid fire questions. Okay. So in your opinion, from your vantage point, um, you know, crushing it, you know, like ripping stages apart and all of this stuff, being an artist and multiple disciplines. And I love the way that you made that sort of connection of how your your book is applicable to various creatives, right? Mm -hmm. What is like that one key piece of advice you would want to share to someone who's emerging in sort of this creative work? Um emerging and that, you know, they're not quite sure where they're at and I'm sure what their path mm -hmm. is. They may be kind of wandering, traveling. What's that piece of advice you would want to share to somebody? Mind your own lawn. Mind your own lawn. Mm. And by that, I mean, everybody's grass is going to look greener. It is. Yeah. It's factually greener. That grass is greener. But you don't know if that's weeds 
or clovers or spray paint or AstroTurf. It looked green, but it might, you know, you trying to do what they trying to do is not going to work. Mind your own lawn. Get rid of the weeds in your own lawn. Tighten up your own grass. Mow your joint. Trim it up. Water it. Get the right type of soil. You know, make sure you aerate the soil. Put down the right type of seed. Throw a scarecrow out that joint. Cover it up. <laughs> like, tend to it. Make sure it's on the sunny side. Like, get it to sunshine. Throw some UV lights up. Mind your own lawn. Because your lawn, once you tend to your own situation and tend to your lawn, and it might take some time, mm-hmm. right? Trying to follow other people's lead will have you looking crazy. You'll have mad weeds in your joint. It's, you know, the lawn is, day lawn is twice as hard to mow. You over here, you can't even mow the joint because you ain't got the right equipment. Because that's not the lawn for you. That's not your lawn, right? right? And so if you keep minding other people's lawn, you ain't going to do nothing but be wasting time. You over there trying to tend to their garden. You got a whole garden in your own space. And that's the thing that makes you different. The reason the book, the book is titled You Are Ketchup yeah. is because in this business, you are about as important as a packet of ketchup to them. That's it. And there's a million people that do what you do. Let's not be confused. Let's not conflate. Right. Yeah. There's a million singers and rappers and producers and beat makers and graffiti artists and artists and podcasts and mm-hmm. actors and, you know, whatever. Pick an ad, right? We could just throw an ampersand and an infinity sign up, yeah. right? It's plenty of people that do what you do. But, the, but what makes you you and what makes that sauce, that sauce that you have, like, and I say it in the book, are you like, do you got sriracha? Like, you catch up with a little sriracha, you like, you got some extra pepper in it, some scotch bonnet, you a yard mind them. Like, what are you doing yeah. that's making your ketchup stand out? Because if you're not doing nothing with your sauce, bro, then you just like everybody else. Sis, you like everybody else. You running around. And, and that's the thing what I mean by paying attention to your own lawn and your mm-hmm. own garden. Like, you got to grow your own herbs and spices in your joint. You can't be over here trying to grow. And you can have the same ingredients. Mm-hmm. Somebody got basil. They got, you know, thyme. They got pepper. They got scotch bonnet. You got the same thing. But because it was grown in a different environment mm-hmm. with different soil, it's going to taste different. It ain't the same. Plus, you might not, they might not know how to put the ingredients together like you put the ingredients together. You, you Bayesian, you got a whole different way to flip your, 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 your recipe. You know what I mean? They, they African, they got a different way to flip their recipe. So same ingredients, right? They got pounded yam. You got pounded yam. They make a foo-foo. You over here with something different, right? You know what I mean? You ain't pounding. You got mashed potatoes. Like, what are you doing? It's something different. And so when when it's different, if you paying attention to your recipes and your sauce, then you'll come out way, you know, and just don't quit. So those things tend to your garden, work on it. Don't quit on it. Keep watering and keep tilling and keep making it better until you got something that's specific to your taste that you know is yours. I'm, I'm, I mean, I am fired up right now. Oh, I am fired up right now. I love it. I, thank you so much, bro. <laughs> no problem, uh, brother. So I got... I got a litany of rapid fire questions. I got like okay. six of them, whatever. Um, you know, brevity is key, obviously. Uh, yes. So I'm gonna start off with the first one. What's your favorite drink? Uh, mezcal. Good man. Good man. Uh, I'm gonna say that one because it's a pun. Uh, how many hours of sleep do you typically get? Four. Favorite TV show of all time? Of all time? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had to, I had, it's hard. I know. That's hard. Favorite uh, TV show of the 80s, then? I'll give you that. I, man, I can't even remember 80s, bro. Like, it's, it's, that's just sad. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, sad. I'll give you... Okay, I'll frame it one more way, because this has to do with one of your, one of your projects. Um, favorite black TV show? Like, Black Lee, Black Cast? Okay, great. Um, what was the first album you fell in love with? Um, the Three Sounds. And presents the three sounds. That's what it, the name of the group is the three sounds. It's an eponymous giant. Three sounds presents three sounds. Yeah. Um, if you were able to bring back one group that you were a big fan of, like that broke up or what have you, who would it be? What would the group Prince. be? Prince. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, what is? And this is probably going to be a longer answer. What's your dream? It was, it was you touched on something about this earlier and I thought it was important to kind of circle back to it. 
Um, I don't really have dreams anymore. Like a lot of the stuff is reality. So financial independence is, you know, I'm working towards that. It's working towards the realities. Like the dream was to be on stage. The dream was to be a rapper, like to be an MC. And that became my reality. And so everything after that is just like pushing the reality forward. That's great. That's great. All right. Here's here's the last one. Um, since ketchup is a part of the title of your book, aside from ketchup, what do you dip your fries in? Bro, mayonnaise. You, you notice that response, right? I'm on the That's, same page. I love dipping my fries in mayonnaise. I grew up in Germany. So it's yeah. a mayonnaise ketchup thing. Bop, bop. Ah, it's a wrap. If they're both together, it's a whole problem. That's a problem. Mayonnaise and ketchup. And actually, if it's, if it's ketchup and Miracle Whip, you really got, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, I, I move away from the white, so I'll be like, hold on, don't give me that. You know, and if it's if it's ketchup and Harissa and 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 uh, and uh, a miracle whip, and you might well cancel me, right? I'm just bow, bow, so so, bow, so bow, I'll I'll, th- I'll throw this one out there to you, and and that's pretty much all of the questions. And thank you for indulging me. No worries. Uh, this is the this this is what I've been doing. Um, I'll do the 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 QP the Japanese mayo. Okay. I I, I use that. That's my mayo replacement. I was we were cool with family. I mean, I'm sorry, miracle whip family, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, once QP became a thing, and I was able to kind of work some things in there, it's like, oh, oh, we we got wasabi here. Let me call on wasabi mayo. Uh oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, sauce, just a sauce conversation. It's a sauce, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, um, I want to thank you again for coming on to this podcast, and thank you, bro, for having me, one hundred percent. And I want to invite and encourage you to share with the folks where they can check you out, where they can get the book, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, you can find me at K-O-K-A-Y-I in most places, uh, pretty much everywhere, um, all the socials anyway. And then or Kokai 202, K-O-K-A-Y-I 202. Um, and then uh, the book can be found at www.y-o-u-a-r-e-k-e-t-c-h-u-p-u-r-catchup.com. Uh, and that way you can find and order anything or go to Kokai 202 and you can get all the information about me and our projects and all the little funny stuff I do with Legos and all that and the book. So you can get merch, you can get the book, you can, you can take me home, you know what I'm saying? You can take me <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Kokai for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that it's art, culture, community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Oh,